You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the 321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Cinco de Mayo. It is Cinco de Mayo. You got you had the May the Fourth be with you, Cinco de Mayo. I mean, it's just two awesome holidays slam back to back for you. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody, and we appreciate you joining us on the line on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama, or if you're watching us on Facebook on ESPN 106.7 Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages. Phone lines are open. We're taking your calls. 334-321-1390 is what will put you through to On the Line. As well as coming up at 2.30, we'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us to talk to us about the latest flurry of transfers through the Auburn program as well as how Auburn did in the NFL draft this past weekend. What are his thoughts on where some of these Auburn players landed at the next level? And then maybe, just maybe, what guys are going next year to the NFL? Yeah, we've got, I mean, there is a lot of guys. I I expect there to be some more guys next year than this year get drafted. Just based off of the caliber of guys who are going to be leaving next year, it feels more more high-draftable guys, like guys who you might see in the first two days almost guaranteed unless something happens this season that they kind of have the wheels fall off on them maybe they just have an abysmal performance but with these guys I don't really see it and I see a lot more top end talent coming out of Auburn next year than we had this past year coming out in the NFL draft well Levi as we like to start our show this way sometimes how you doing today man in the sports world it's a sad day it's a sad day I mean Kansas City the Royals they're they're down. They're fourth in the league now, but it's okay. We're still up high. And then, guys, I know y'all are all going to be upset, but NC Dinos, four and a half games out of first place in the Korean baseball organization. I'm sorry. Just give me a minute. So baseball's not been kind to you in the last 24 to 48 hours? Not really. Not really at all. It'll be all right. 162-game <laughs> season, and nobody's watching the Korean baseball league. So you're I good. <laughs> I am, and our listeners out there are. Every morning, we're up. They're texting me. I know they're watching. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into it here. What players could we see in Brian Harson's first draft class at Auburn? The 2022 draft class will be Brian Harson's first draft class on the Plains. And, you know, leave it to a couple of days after the the NFL draft. Folks are going to be talking about Next year's NFL draft, way too early mock drafts. Typically just the first round is what you see, but also locally, not just at Auburn, but at all kinds of schools in the country, you see local media personalities talking about and writing about, well, what guys may be going next year? So let's dig into this. Who could we see in Brian Harson's first draft class at Auburn? And I think the guy that headlines that class next year at least going into the 2021-2022 season, the guy that is headlining that bunch is Roger McCreary at cornerback. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree that he's the guy that you're looking at because he probably, I mean, he would have been a higher pick in this year's draft class. I mean, he would have been day two, probably. Yeah, he probably I'm assuming he would have been like a round two, round three type of guy if he came out this year. Probably more on the three side than the two, but just because there were, there, there was a good bunch of cornerbacks in this class, I like to think. And he could have, he could have, you know, made a splash this year. But I think he's the guy that when you look at this Auburn team going into next year, at least going into it on paper, he's the guy that you're looking at as one of the mo- more draftable guys at least in the higher ranks, he could turn himself into a first round pick with and you know, with an excellent twenty twenty one season. If he comes out and plays up to some of that potential that a lot of people see, because he's I mean, Roger McCree's been a fantastic cornerback at Auburn, but if he takes even a further leap and shows even more to NFL guys, he could end up being a late first round draft pick come next year. He could be a first round draft pick. Yeah, that's he a, could yeah. sneak in. He could be a late first round guy if he comes out and just plays absolutely, you know, just fantastic this year. Locks down some top receivers in the league. J.C. Horn pole vaulted into the first round, into the top 10, because he shut down some of the better receivers on his schedule. And I feel like that that game against Auburn, the Seth Williams film, was a big part of his, it, it was a launch pad for him last year to elevate his draft status. It's one of those games where it kind of had a lot of eyes on it and people started taking notice about J.C. Horn. Then they looked back and saw, you know, some of his some of his highlights against top tier competition along with some other. Uh, and then he had, you know, other games and later in the season as well where you're thinking, oh, this wasn't just he locked down Seth Williams. He can play some ball and he has been playing cornerback at a high level in the SEC against top-tier competition. Got everybody to pay attention to him. Yeah, it was like, he's like, I've been doing this, man. I've been doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm just glad you finally got eyes on me. And it worked out. I mean, he hopped up. I Look, even once the, the season ended, I was kind of expecting J.C. Horn to still be around a mid-round of 20th you know, selection. And he just kept climbing and kept climbing. The next thing you know, he's a top-tier draft pick. What opportunities are there on Auburn's schedule this upcoming season for Roger McCreary to do that. Early in the year, I don't see too many next-level receivers. Georgia's got a pretty good receiving core, but I'm not looking at them thinking, now that George Pickens is hurt and is out for the rest of the year, I'm not looking at them as, well, they've got a day one or an early day two selection out of their receiving core. I don't know. Do you think differently than me? No, like I I was trying to agree. I was trying to justify saying Georgia. They've got good receivers, if, but no headliner. Unless someone within those first, what, one, two, three, four, five games for Georgia, like steps up and becomes like a, a guy that people are nationally paying attention to and steps up into what like we perceive George Pickens to kind of be. That's the only way. Like, it's going to take someone to actually just, like, wow off the page in the first five weeks for Georgia. And then it's going to take Roger McCreary shutting that guy down as well. And the offense really hasn't been conducive for Georgia to create a wide receiver at the next level that garnered a ton of attention. George Pickens really seems to be that first guy. And now he's hurt. So I don't even know if you get that out of the Georgia game through the first six weeks of the season. Roger McCreary may not have played a next level, you know, day one, early day two, like receiver, an elite receiver in the next draft class, unless I'm missing somebody. I mean, he really does. There's not really that many elite, like elite receivers that are going into this season that you're you looking like at. You like the guy at Arkansas. I do like Traylon Burks a lot. I think he is a guy that could play at the next level. I'd like to see what Roger McCreary does to him. 
But you got to think, there's not a lot of returning receiving talent to the SEC next year. A&M's got a nice host so, of guys. Yeah, so it's going to take like one of these guys. It might not it might not wow you initially. It might be like performances that Roger McCreary puts together where you're like, "Oh, well he locked this guy down. I don't, you know, I've never really heard of him. I remember him recruiting, but then like you see him kind of step up later in the year and you're like, "Oh, Roger McCreary took that guy completely out of the game." I think it's going to be more of that. Like you're not going to go in there and say, "Oh, he's guarding Devontae Smith. Oh, he's guarding George Pickens. Oh, he's guarding, you know, a Jamar Chase. Like November like, may very well be the month that Roger McCreary makes some serious moolah. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, the Alabama game, we're, you're going to see what he does against them. Like John Mechie. John Mechie or Jai Hall, just depending on which one of those guys comes out. Like, I like it's both be John Mechie. I think John Mechie's like an, like, he, he's a guy that people aren't really paying too much attention to that they, future first rounder that they absolutely need to 100% agreed I think it's going to be more of a you're going to look back like it's going to be kind of like a Zach Wilson thing where once the season ends Roger McCreary might not be that high up on people's boards I mean he'll still be high up there but like he might not be up in that stratosphere where you're like this dude's guaranteed first round but then the next thing you know you look back on the tape and you're thinking oh at the time we didn't really pay attention to this because we didn't know the guy's name that he was covering but he's had a really good year, and Roger McCreary took him completely out of the game. Like I think it's going to be more of a look-back type of thing for him. Noah Igbenogany made some money against Alabama in the 2019 Iron Bowl. I go back to this point about the month of November, though, for Roger McCreary next year in terms of his draft stock. You get that road game against A&M to start off the month of November. That A&M receiving core pretty much returns intact quarterback in the offensive line situation in Texas A&M little murky at the moment but he will still be going against some next level receivers in College Station after that a week later you're hosting Mississippi State and the name of the game against the Bulldogs is can you stop the air raid can you stop these guys from throwing all over you and Mississippi State is going to attempt to throw the ball 50 60 times a game but is that actually going to pan out to points on the scoreboard do they have the talent to beat some of the better teams in this league that actually have good defensive backs I think Roger McCreary is going to have an opportunity in that Mississippi State game even though he's not playing next level talent across the board he's going to have an opportunity and lots of opportunities considering the volume in which Mississippi State throws the football he's going to have the opportunity to put a lot of put a lot of film out there for some NFL scouts and then you go to South Carolina not a big deal then you got Alabama the big one at the end and if you put on a similar type of performance that Anoa Igbenogany did and some of these other defensive backs that Auburn has had over the years like a Carlton Davis or Jamel Dean if you could do it against a receiving core with the likes of Alabama it crescendos at that point Alabama has the best receiving core or one of the best receiving cores in the SEC and they actually bring back a couple of guys who produced for them last year, like John Metu, who's now ready to take over and be the guy in the receiver room. If you're able to, and I like that matchup for Roger McCreary, not saying he's going to win it, but I like his ability to compete into it because you look at Roger McCreary, veteran. John Metu, still relatively young. He's been playing under some of these other guys. McCreary's been the dude at cornerback for Auburn. John Mechie now is stepping into that role. It's going to be a fun matchup at the end of the season when you see veteran cornerback clash with kind of the new hot shot on the block at wide receiver for Alabama. So that game at the end of the year is going to go a long way to helping Roger McCreary make some serious cash at the next level. 
I think people are going to also look at, and this is going to be a, it's going to be a, a film study more or less than just like the way the game plays out, I think, because it's going to be hard for the quarterback to get this guy the ball anyway. But I will like to see what Roger McCreary does against a guy like Kayshawn Butte. Because I do think that that's a an NFL receiver at LSU. Problem is, you just like saying his name. He, I mean, I, he's the eighth. He's the eighth leading receiving receiver returning in the SEC. Or you know, he was the eighth. He was eighth in receiving yards last year in the SEC. And you look at the guys ahead of him. Most of them are gone. The only guys who who are ahead of him that aren't gone: John Mechie and Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. I think that you can watch him and just watch what he does. Don't don't pay attention to. Where the ball is getting thrown, completions and you know incompletions and stuff like that, because I don't know how well the quarterback is going to be at LSU. Just watch Roger McCreary on Kayshawn Butte and see what they do. <laughs> Just watch the film of them isolated. Watch those guys. Don't don't pay attention when the quarterback is getting absolutely hammered for you know throwing the ball forty yards out of bounds. Just just watch the film. Just watch what those two guys are doing. It's that's that's an actual film study that I'm excited about. Other than that, I like I want to see him against Traylon Burks. I think that's going to be a good one to watch him against as well early on in the year. And then Ole Miss. I don't know what receiver it's going to be, but they keep pumping him into the NFL. There's bound to be one on that roster somewhere. We just probably don't know him yet. There's definitely opportunities early on in the season, but you expect him to handle those teams pretty easily or well because we expect him to be an early day two or late day one selection in next year's NFL draft so if you're going to be put into that category if you're going to be given that type of evaluation you better be able to handle some of those teams best receivers because I don't think they're some of the best in the country I just think that there's some good receivers there like Burks out of Arkansas is probably a day two day three selection when he decides to come out you've talked about him in that light you should be able to handle him pretty easily if you're going to be a day one kind of guy yeah, I agree with that. I, I 100% agree that, that he should be able to handle some of these guys that are but on the November, schedule. But in November, it heats up. Yeah, then you have a guy who's a potential first-rounder in John Mechie. You, you've got a, an air-raid offense you, that you're playing against in Mississippi State. And, I mean, I, I think there's just a lot of a, a lot of opportunity. I'm going to keep highlighting that Ole Miss game because we don't know which one it is yet. But they're going to pump one of those guys into the NFL because they keep doing it. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. We continue with this conversation about next year's draft class. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Coming up. At 2.30, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. He'll be coming up in about 12 minutes. We'll talk to him about some of the recent transfers out of the Auburn program. Also, next year's potential draft class, which is the topic of conversation that we are on at the moment here. We just wrapped up about a 13 to 15 minute long discussion about Roger McCreary for next year. And I loved every minute of every minute of it. You know, some of the highlights of the schedule next year, some of the best receivers he's going to go up against. If you missed any of that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. But let's switch gears here to some of the other players that we could see in next year's draft class for Brian Hartson. And a big part of why we're going through this, if you're just now joining us, you look a couple of days after the NFL draft, folks are still 
squeezing content out of that weekend and a big part of that's looking ahead to next season and a lot of folks out there writing or talking about who could be in Brian Harson's 2022 draft class so that's what we're looking at here and I think the next guy we can talk about after Roger McCreary folks think that Smoke Monday can get into day two territory as a safety at the next level yeah I mean I could see it um, he's just going to have to put a little bit more on film to sneak into that day two range I expect him to get drafted. I just feel like he's a day three guy right now. I think NFL guys are probably going to need to see a little bit more next season just to kind of make them feel more comfortable. Big about reason why he's that. back. Yeah, he, he needed to put just a little bit more on tape to try to hop up into that day two range. I think he's a lot to go day three. I don't think you see this guy go as an undrafted free agent. Too much talent there unless something like unless the wheels fall off for him this year. But I don't anticipate that happening. So he's back. He's got to put just a little bit more on tape that NFL guys like, and then I could put him into that day two range. More consistency is the main thing that I think a lot of folks need to see from Smoke Monday. The guy puts the effort in. First play of the A-Day scrimmage, he's laying somebody out. He's he always he's not always in the right spot, but I do think that we're we we see him put in a lot of effort on a play-to-play basis. And the way that his teammates talk about him, the way that former players that have played with him talk about him, they say that this defense this year, 2021, is Smoke Monday's defense. This guy's the leader of the squad. And that's good. I mean, people do, NFL guys do like that at the next level. Um, I think he, he lacks a bit with like the top end type of speed. Like, you know, like Sherwood didn't have it either, but Sherwood could do. He could play. He's that hybrid guy. They're thinking he's probably going to be a linebacker. So the yeah, speed's not as. Was it Sherwood like four seven five? Yeah, like you're not like you're oh. not concerned about the speed when you're looking at him and saying, oh, he's probably going to do like a hybrid linebacker type of position. Smoke Monday doesn't have that kind of size on him, and he's projecting to be a safety, not play linebacker like Jamie Sher- Jerry Sherwood was. So like you're thinking, like you're looking at Smoke Monday. He's he has a little bit of limitations with his speed and. He just needs to put it all together and show that he can not... He's not the most agile guy in the world either. Yeah, you want to show that that's not going to limit you. Like, that's not going to... Like How do you do that? You you be more consistent. You play... Like, you cover better. Like, that's... I mean, it's hard to do that sometimes when you get burned by a guy with top-end speed. Like, I don't know, like any kind of receiver at the next level. It, it, you're training to that, that level where you're seeing almost two types of receivers in the NFL. You're seeing guys who have world-class speed, and then you're seeing guys who, you know, just outbody you. And it's kind of like you're going to that one extreme or the other type of, like, shift right now. I I don't really know what Smoke Monday has to do other than be a little bit more consistent. I think he's going to be held back. Is it possible for him to achieve that? I Based think, on I mean, what we've I, yeah. seen, is it possible? Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody can be more consistent. Like, I think that that's very doable for him. I think he could work himself into a day two type of guy if he shows that he can be more consistent and play at a high level because he's going to be playing against some top tier offenses and some pass heavy offenses that are going to allow him to showcase his ability at the safety position. It's, I, I, I think that he could work his way into it. Again, it's all about consistency. I think. You know what his limitations are. You know what he's got to, like, you know what he can't help. The speed, probably not going to really improve. He could be a little bit more agile. He can show that he's better in coverage. And again, just being consistent and not just absolutely busting coverage on some place. 
part of me wonders if that was schematic issues last season. Because and it might have been. you know who else was heavily involved when things were blown across the top of the defense? It's Christian Tut. Yeah, and I mean, I, I agree with that. And The nickel spot. Anybody who was playing nickel last year, the scheme was not helping them out. And I think there was a lot of miscommunication at times when you saw Auburn get beat over the top. I think you saw a lot of issues there communication-wise between whoever was in the nickel or guarding anybody in the slot versus the safety. There just seemed to be a lot of a lot of miscommunication there because you'd see Smoke Monday or Christian Tut getting burned, and whoever was getting burned, they'd be looking at the other guys saying, what are you doing, man? And so there's just a lot of miscommunication there over the top. You don't know whose fault that was. You don't know if that's a coaching issue. Why, why did that not get rectified? Who knows? You don't know if that's one of those players was more responsible than the other. You have no idea to, you, you have no idea how to know because you don't know what play was called. You, you, you don't know what was going on in the huddle. You have no idea. You don't know how it was coached. There's no way for anybody to know. But I'm with you. There needs to be more consistency from Smoke Monday at the safety position for him to squeeze in solidly as a day two guy. I don't know if he can get to day one. But I think what he's able to do that is going to intrigue some teams is his ability to roam the top of a defense, to roam that final third, and to come up with some big plays, turnovers. He's a ball-hawking safety. He's got good hands. He's fast, I think, when he's finally out into open space. But he's not overly agile, so you really don't like his ability to change direction at the moment. His coverage, hit or miss at times, but like I said, he's came up with some big interceptions in his time at Auburn, and he's he's turned them into pick sixes. So you know he's got the ability to make some big plays for you. He's versatile as well. You look at his film, they have him rush the passer a lot. They'll bring him up to the line and blitz. I think we see that a lot this year out of Derrick Mason because he likes to throw a lot of different looks at opposing offenses. So Smoke Monday definitely has the ability there to contribute in a way that other teams might find intriguing. I don't think that we've seen him a whole bunch involved in stopping the run. I think that's been an area of concern for Auburn defensive backs, period, out on the perimeter. That's an area where I think I'd like to see him improve because, once again, that goes back to agility, not being able to change directions well. I think it's affecting some of these. These Auburn defensive backs last year were not very good tackling on the perimeter whereas you look at some of the safeties of the past you look at your Jeremiah Denson's your Steven Roberts I remember the Iron Bowl back in 2017 where there was a pass out in the flat and Steven Roberts came up and made a shoestring tackle and what a big tackle it was because I think it was a third down or something like that do you remember what play I'm talking about I know what you're talking about huge play a momentum shifting play really in that Iron Bowl back in 2017 Auburn was not making plays like that last year and that's fair. And I, I also think just position alone is going to limit him in getting, you know, drafted a little bit higher because safety really hasn't been. It's not a coveted position when you're drafting. Unless you're the Raiders. Yeah, unless you're the Raiders and you're taking throughout. And I, I taking like three in this year's class. There's just what? there's also like there's guys that are coming out like the his name slips me the kid out of Notre Dame. I remember reading something about him, Hamilton. Uh, he's out of Notre Dame. He's actually projected to go into the top ten, but like. That just means you are just absolutely dominating. But then you look at the drop-off, you might not see another one drafted in the first round because that's just kind of how the safety position works when you're looking at stuff like that. So that'll limit him. He's already playing, you know, on hard mode trying to get there into that day two range anyway. Like, that's kind of the ceiling 
for safeties unless you are just one of the absolute top-notch safeties in the country. And unfortunately, Smoke Monday hasn't shown that, and I don't think he can get there. He'd have to absolutely dominate to try to get himself into a day one. I don't think that's possible. He could do... But just because you don't get there doesn't mean that you're not a great college football player. I think he could still be a great college football player. 100%. There are a lot of great college football players who do play or who do make it to the second round. Deshaun Davis was a great football player. He got drafted in round five or six. Troy Smith won a Heisman in 2006, and he was drafted in like the fifth or sixth round by the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, you can have an excellent college... Yeah, you can have an excellent college career and still not be valued in the NFL draft scope. So like, there's nothing against Smoke Monday could come out and play fantastically. It's just in, if we're talking about just in the scope of a draft, it's going to be hard for him to really play himself. Like it's going to be hard for him to play himself into a day two, in my opinion. But it's I mean like it's almost impossible for him to get into that first you know into that day one first round type uh, type of position for him. We spent a lot of time on defensive backs here, potential draft picks for Auburn next season. That's the topic of conversation and, right oh, now and on the line. We didn't even talk about Drayshon Miller. I mean, just because he's not on campus yet. I mean, yeah. he was he's a high-graded by PFF returning cornerback. He could, he could show he a lot as well. He might even be Auburn's fourth corner on the roster, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's a guy who has NFL talent, but you don't know about where he's going to play. I think he's a day three guy. After this season, it just depends on how how much he plays and where. Like it just depends on how much playing time he gets. I mean, I think he's all. I think he can put it on tape for him and show them. The issue is he's going going to be overshadowed by Roger McCreary, and I think that'll take away because he's not going to get as many reps. Even if he plays and starts and plays a lot of, you know, ends up playing a lot, he's not going to be covering the top end talent that Roger McCreary's showing. So he's not going to have the tape to kind of back it up for him. I get Blake Countess vibes from Dreshawn Miller. Yeah, Maybe because he's transferring. Blake Countess came from Michigan. You got Dreshawn Miller coming from West Virginia. So part of that is the fact that he's transferring here. But also, if you'll remember, Blake Countess was drafted late in his draft class as well. I think he was a fifth or a sixth round selection. He goes in the draft at that point. I think that's an area that you could see Dreshawn Miller go in and contribute because Blake Countess, if I'm not I don't think I'm wrong here, but he was in the league as of a year or two ago. I say he was in there for a while. He was with the Rams. I've, I remember always seeing his name pop up, like when I'm watching the NFL games. So, I like I, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I think he was in the league just a few years ago. He's a free agent. He was think- a, he was an Eagle last year, a Jet in 2019, and then with the Rams from 16 to 18. So currently looking for work, but. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. We got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. 2.30 p.m. And as promised, we've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on with us for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are y'all? We are doing great. Just happy some of this bad weather has blown away, and hopefully it doesn't come back. But, uh, Justin, we've been talking a little bit about the 2022 Auburn draft class, next year's class, as most people like to look ahead to next year, and it's so hard to do, but we want to pick your brain on it and continue our mm-hmm. conversation here. We've seen uh, We've seen several defensive backs 
headlined this class for this upcoming year. Outside of Roger McCreary, what guys do you believe are going to be the next best draft eligible players in this year's in the in, in next year's class? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at DBs, I think Smoke Monday has a really good chance of uh, really raising his stock, uh, you know, in in this system. I think one if you look at if you look at the at Derek Mason's track record and see how good he is at you know teaching guys the fundamentals, uh, being really uh, making sure guys are really fundamentally sound with their eyes. Um, just kind of cleaning up and being more consistent. I think everybody who watches Smoke Monday knows he's a very talented playmaker. But there, sometimes there's some consistency issues, some busts and stuff like that. And I think if he tightens it up, man, he's got all the physical skill in the world to be an awesome safety, um, you know, at the next level. And I think I think there's a lot to to that for him. So I, I'm really curious to see how he does. And, you know, also in the secondary, um, I would keep an eye on, you know, Nehemiah Pritchett, I think. It would be quick for him to make a jump, jump like that. But I mean, his the advanced numbers on him last season were outstanding, and um, you know he's a very disruptive corner. I think you know teams that want physical guys on the outside, and if he ends up playing more on the inside uh, this season at nickel, like he was working out in um, in spring practices, I think he's got he's got he's got some potential to really make it in the league as well. I think there's a lot of Nehemiah. You know, I think there's a lot of Nehemiah's game that reflects like Roger McCreary's game, and those guys kind of reflect. You know, a guy like Roger is very much kind of like Noah is a late bloomer, very physical guy on the outside, very athletic. Um, I think, you know, this this chain of uh, corners that we've seen come out of Auburn. When you look at guys like Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis starting for a Super Bowl champion, people are going to be paying more attention to Auburn corners. Um, you know, moving forward, and I think I think those guys are going to be able to take advantage of it. And I'm very curious to see what these safeties do, like Smoke Monday, long term, because Derek Mason is going to be very hands on with them because he's going to be responsible for those safeties. Uh, you know, uh, the individual position coach responsibilities for them. Looking back at this past weekend's NFL draft, which Auburn players fit do you like the most at the next level? I, I think it's I think it's hard to say anybody, but. Anthony Schwartz, and not just because he was the earliest pick, but you look at the way the Browns are set uh, on the on the defense. I mean, the offensive side of the ball. They've got Nick Chubb, who commands attention every time he's in the backfield. They've got Kareem Hunt also. So whenever Chubb's not on the field, Hunt's out there as well. Um, and and you know, so you can't really empty the box against these guys. And you look what they have on the outside. Odell Beckham Jr., when he's on, he's one of the best talents we've seen a wide receiver in a while. Uh, Jarvis Landry can get open and, 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 you know, make catches against pretty much anybody. Uh, you know, they've got Austin, uh, Austin Hooper. Uh, they've got a really good uh, offensive line. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield, he's one of the more improved quarterbacks in the NFL last season. Uh, got him to the playoffs, got a win in the playoffs with it. And so I think the thing for him is that there's so many dudes on that team and there's so many guys that you know kind of create their own gravity on the offensive side of the ball. The defense has to pay attention to those guys and take a lot of attention to them. And most of those dudes are really, really good playmakers, but they're not straight-line, speedy burners like Schwartz is. So those wide receivers, that tight end, that running game, can get the defense kind of playing up, kind of spread them out. And then you can get manipulate that, get some one-on-one opportunities for a guy like Flash and say, hey, man, just run by everybody. Um, and I think that's going to be really cool to see. So, Anthony Schwartz has got a lot of competition at wide receiver 
in Cleveland, but a team that had so many wide receivers picked him because he's got something that they ain't got, and it's that burning kind of speed. So I think early on in his career, if he can be a dude who gets three, four, five targets a game, those deep ball threats, he can do a lot with not as much, you know, not as many targets, which is fine because, you know, you're going to have to get the ball to Odell Beckham. You're going to have to get the ball to Big Harvest Landry. You're going to have to get the ball to, to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and that's fine. But we know Flash has the ability to do a lot with a little um, because of how fast he is. And so I think that's a great fit for him schematically. And also, like I said, Think about all those wide receivers, a guy like Odell, a guy like Jarvis especially. He's going to get to learn behind those guys. So I think that's, I think that's a really cool fit. Um, and I think, I think pretty much everybody who got drafted ended up in good situations except for Seth just because there's a ton of competition uh, in Denver and they're very young wide receivers. Um, they kind of have some similar skill sets for them. But I like the way the Jets – have already said we've got a role in mind for Jamie and Sherwood. We're going to move him to linebacker in this cover three scheme, and we think he can play it really well. And I like in Tampa Bay, K.J. Britt's going to go down there, have a chance to play in, in, in a defense that values inside linebackers. Um, I think he can find a little bit of a role early on, and it doesn't hurt that, you know, like I said with Flash, getting to learn behind those guys. K.J. Britt's going to get, learn, get to learn behind Levante David and, De- and Devin White, and those are two of the best you could you could learn behind in the uh, in the NFL at that, at that position. So I think all those guys ended up in pretty good fits. But I really like what Flash brings to the table in Cleveland. I've been waiting to ask you this all week, and I've got to give a little bit of context because there are going to be people who think I'm crazy out there. Depending on where you're <laughs> looking at next year's mock drafts, there are certain people who believe that former Auburn quarterback Malik Willis is a first-round talent at quarterback. So in a situation, based off of numbers, I don't think these guys are going to be in the same class, is there a situation where Malik Willis gets drafted higher than Bo Nix? And if so, does Auburn burn to the ground? Like, do people riot? (laughs) Uh, So, okay, so the Malik Willis type is real, and I don't necessarily know where it came from. Because, like, here's the thing. Malik Willis, awesome group of five quarterback. I think there's a reason why he did so well at Liberty last season. You look at the games they played against quality competition. They only played two ranked teams. I think he threw five picks in those games. Didn't have great completion percentage in either of those games as well. Um, but tore it up against some, you know, lesser quality competition. And, and I think he's got the traits. I'm, I know that for a fact. I mean, he can. He's very. He's very mobile. He's got game changing ability with the ball in his hands. It looks like his arm and his throwing mechanics have gotten better up at Liberty. But I'm very hesitant because. You know, unless he goes out and puts up like Zach Wilson numbers this this season, I don't know how he's going to become a first rounder. But you know, this is a pretty weak quarterback class. You got Sam Howell and you got Spencer Rattler, and that's pretty much it in terms of your first round guys that people think of right now. So everyone's trying to find the next one. They want to find the the guy who's going to be um, you know the standout next, the the come from behind, the breakout player, you know, stuff like that. And, so that's why I think people are getting into the Malik hype, just because he was such a good group of five quarterback last year. Um, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I want to see how he does against some more quality competition. I just don't know how many opportunities they're going to do with that. I mean, they play Louisiana this year, who's really good. They're going to go to Ole Miss, uh, which is going to be a fun game. But, I mean, he's not going to get a ton of showcase games against really high-quality competition. So I, I, I don't know how that's all going to pan out moving forward. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's – Honestly, I mean, there will be a real chance. Unless Bo Nix takes a step forward and becomes 
you know, a quarterback that can complete, you know, 63, 64% of his passes, um, be, be efficient, learn that he's become a better decision maker in this game. Yeah, there's a real chance that Malik Willis, if he stars in the group of five level, is picked ahead of him. But I don't think that's necessarily a reflection of talent. I think, you know, Malik Willis, he wouldn't be putting up those numbers that he's putting up at Liberty at Auburn right now. I don't, I don't think that. So, um, and if Bo Nix was playing at Liberty, I'm sure he'd be lighting it up. So I think, you know, I think that's going to be kind of the comparison that people need to keep in mind. But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see no matter what, what what comes of Malik and Bo, uh, and what are, what are going to be pretty big years for both of those guys. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here, we've seen several guys transfer out of the Auburn program in the last couple of days. Really stretching back to uh, last Friday, we've seen four or five guys enter the transfer portal. What are your thoughts on all these transfers coming out of the program? Are these guys are all these guys playing time related, or is this possibly Brian Harson finally exerting his culture on the program? And guys are saying, ah, "This isn't for me." I think it's a combination of things. I think it's mostly playing time. I mean, none of these guys that are in the portal right now are dudes that we expected to start, right? So I think that plays into it. You gotta you gotta put yourself in the shoes of a guy like Chris Thompson Jr. or a guy like Jay Hardy. You look up and like none of the coaches that recruited you are here anymore. You're, you know, in the case of uh, a guy like Chris Thompson, especially, you're pretty far away from home at this point, and you're not going to be a starter. It doesn't look like, and and, and there's recruit, recruiting going on, um, ongoing for transfers and stuff like that at your position. So, you know, I mean, if, if you have the the ability to make a jump right now. And go see if you can go be a go be a starter somewhere or get more playing time. Yeah, go do it. More power to you. I think it's smart to do it in this case. People are asking, like, okay, why why are they doing this now? Why didn't they do this before spring practice? It's like, no, you go through spring practice to see where you sit. Here's where you're, here's where I am on the on the um, on the totem pole, so to speak. Here here's where I, here's where they have me lined up um, in this new scheme and these new systems. And then you make the decision. And I think another thing to keep in mind there is that. Not only is the school year over, which is going to make things easier for transitions moving forward, but also things are starting to open back up again and recruiting starting in June 1. So these guys are going to be able to go on visits and stuff like that. So I think it's very important that people are able to get the, the right decisions. And so I think it's I think it's pretty much a playing time thing. And, and also, I mean, you're having to kind of no, – it's not even a buy-in thing. I think it's just like, man, I didn't sign up for this. Like this is – not the team that you know, and not the program that I that I committed to and signed with originally. And so, if I'm not going to be an SEC starter or a key contributor to this season, I might be better off going somewhere else. Justin, I appreciate you hopping on the show with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all the great content you're putting out and how they can subscribe to it. Yeah, I appreciate it. AuburnObserver.com is where you can check it out. Six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year um, is where uh, you know you'll get. A few uh, Auburn football and men's basketball stories a week, a couple of podcasts as well. We do a free one on the weekends, just wherever you listen to your podcast, search Auburn Observer. And then if you subscribe, uh, you get a midweek one, which we put up this uh, this morning where we talked a lot about transfers and Malik Wilson and all that, some of the stuff we talked about there. So uh, check that out, auburnobserver.com, uh, sign up there, and uh, start uh, start getting the emails of the, of the new stories and the new podcasts. I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon and a good evening. Yeah, y'all too. Uh, appreciate you having me on. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us on the line. We wrap up our number one here on the show when we come back on the other side of this break.
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer and our previous segment for joining us on the show. If you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're going to be wrapping up hour number one here of On the Line, but before we do, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. CBS has a pair of new episodes of Kids Say the Darndest Things at 7 and Still Team at 8. Over on ABC at 7, catch a new episode of The Goldbergs. And then at 7.30, it'll be Home Economics. Back-to-back episodes of The Connors air starting at 8. New editions of Chicago Med and Chicago Fire come on NBC at 7 and 8. The Masked Singer sees the competition heat up as the final six sing tonight at 7 on Fox. A movie selection for tonight, Moneyball is on AMC at 7. In live sports, the Los Angeles Dodgers clash with the Chicago Cubs at 6.30 p.m. on ESPN. In the NBA, you've got one game on NBA TV. The San Antonio Spurs will travel to Salt Lake City to play the Utah Jazz at 8. The Spurs are in the mix for a spot in the play-in tournament, whereas the Jazz are sitting at the top of the Western Conference. At 7, catch NHL hockey on NBC Sports with the Washington Capitals at the New York Rangers. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the show on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Ramping up hour number one here. I want to take this to the NFL. We've talked a lot about the draft, but let's actually talk about the league now. Some of the stuff that's happening. Of course, we really haven't discussed the Aaron Rodgers situation that much since Friday, I believe. Yeah, Friday. So this will be the first time we've really talked about it since Friday. Brett Favre seems to think he's got a gut feeling You know, it's that country boy gut feeling. Brett Favre has a feeling that Aaron Rodgers is done in a Packers uniform. I mean, if anybody knows what it's, you know, if anybody's an expert on knowing what it's like to be done in a Packers uniform, it's the guy who retired and came back, retired and came back. I mean, don't hate on Brett Favre. He's... I mean, don't hate on Brett Favre. I've got plenty, plenty to hate on Brett Favre. You can hate on Dan Marino all you want. Don't hate on Brett Favre. I mean, I could throw shade at him. He's he's the expert on uh, knowing when it's time to retire and then coming back and then retiring again and then coming back again. He's he's the expert. He knows how to do it. I mean, I I don't know how you come back from this. Like the the whole Russell Wilson thing. He was like, all Russell Wilson said was he was upset with management and they were said, we got this. Let's fix this really quick. It doesn't feel like the Packers are doing that, and it, it feels more... Seattle didn't feel like it fixed things, though. They kind of threw fuel on the fire by I'm, saying that they weren't happy with Russell Wilson for talking about it. And, but then everything was fixed, and this was also... That was also a one-month, like month, two-month sample size. This has been happening. Like, yep. you, like this, the writing on the walls has been there that Aaron Rodgers is not happy in Green Bay. Like, you can tell. Like, he's he's not been happy with... Like some of the things they've been doing, and he just wants he wants to be involved. When you're going to take a quarterback in the first round instead of getting him a receiver, he wants you to at least tell him. He doesn't want to sit there and go, "Oh, they traded up. They're getting me a weapon. Oh, they're not getting me a weapon. They're getting me out of here." And if that was the best move for them that they feel like, that's fine. He just wants to be involved. He's their most valuable player. There's a reason if he doesn't play for them next year, their chances of winning a Super Bowl go from implied odds of ten percent to point eight percent. 
There's a reason that that happens. There's a reason they're the second highest, uh, the second highest odd team to win the Super Bowl next year. And the Broncos' odds are creeping up ever so slowly because there are murmurs that he might end up there. And you're and why not just swap quarterbacks? Seattle trades Russell Wilson for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I, I've been saying it all year. I mean, Taysom Hill for Aaron Rodgers. Who says no? <laughs> That's a whole different trade that you're talking about. I don't know. I mean, bring bring him home. You're bringing Taysom Hill back to where it all began in Green Bay. Once again, whole different whole different ball game. What I you're know. Talking I about. know the Saints are. You know, the Saints are taking on like a, a worse quarterback. I get it. It's fine, but like I I don't understand. Like sometimes you got to make that move. Oh my goodness! Oh but my no, like goodness. I, seriously though, I, why I, not? I mean, if Russell Wilson's not happy and Aaron Rodgers isn't happy, just switch. I could see. I mean, it's like those TV shows in the past, you know, where you'd switch, uh, you'd switch spouses. I know. You remember Aaron, that TV show? Uh, yeah, that, that that was the one where the the little kid was like, "You ain't ever seeing this face again," and he goes storming out of there because they were trying to make him eat healthy. I don't know how they can that's do that. That's hilarious. I've never seen that. But that's you're trying to make him hel- eat healthy, and he like packs up his bags and just starts walking out. And he's he's a little tubbier kid, so it's funny because little kids who are tubby are always a little funny when they start stampeding around. And he, yeah, it's, that's a good one. I'll bring up the video for you off air to let you watch that one. But yeah, I mean, like I could see it. I think Russell Wilson might have a no trade clause, but you probably wouldn't want to do it. Like he does have a no trade clause, but he did, you know, go to Wisconsin for a year. In college, like it, it, it kind of makes sense. Like he might want to go back. He go play for the Packers. You're going to have a lot of. So why not? It's could, the same caliber I quarterback. Could, why I not? Mean, I could see that. I mean, I was thinking different before, stages in their career, yeah. but I mean, why they not? do they do different things. But I mean, they're they're top notch quarterbacks. You wouldn't be upset with either of them. I don't think also Aaron, one's a little older than the other. Aaron Rodgers would not want to go to Seattle like why? that because that team is bad. Like that roster is bad. Like <laughs> that's fair. I'm sorry. Not the team isn't bad because the team's winning games and making it to the playoffs, but the roster makeup. It's no better. He's not walking into a better situation than he is in Green Bay. Like he would want to stay in Green Bay before if if he if it's all about like the team he's playing for, he would definitely want to stay in Green Bay. They have better toys, better receivers, but that line is abysmal. And he's getting up there in his like he's he getting wouldn't want there. to throw to DK Metcalf. No, that's what I'm saying. That's awesome. But uh, when what what quarterback is going to be able to throw to DK Metcalf that can't spin around eight times in the pocket and get open after the line <laughs> says I don't know. Yeah, not today. And Aaron Rodgers has been hurt a time or two. Yeah, like yeah, he wouldn't want to do that. I, I mean, I still think that. I mean, even we said it with the Texans before all the legal troubles that Deshaun Watson has faced in there. It made sense for that swap to happen as well. But now he's on a bit of a different stage than these two guys. What do you think the timetable looks like on this for Aaron Rodgers? I'm not sure. I, I don't think, I don't think he plays in a Packers uniform again. I think that's done with. I think it's like. But how long is it until we're talking about Aaron Rodgers in a new uniform? It's going to be a while. I, really? I, I could see, I could see preseason. I could see preseason before we see anything, or even maybe a week or two into the year. Like I mean, like I could see that kind of thing happening. It honestly. Oh just, no, he retires if it's. I, I don't. If he's this adamant about not playing in a Packers uniform, there's no way you make it to Week One. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I no would. Way. I I can see that. I just think it's going to. How about this? I think it's going to be later rather than sooner in this situation. I don't, yeah, not the next month is what you're no, saying. Yeah, I don't think so. And if it does, I'd be happy because obviously I want to see what happens. I think he goes More to Denver. To talk about. Yeah, I think he ends up going to Denver if I'm putting a stamp on it. But we'll see. Man, trade Trey Lance, 49ers, do it. Hour number two of on the line coming up on the other side of this break. We'll be back in just a moment.
You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Solid show for everybody so far today. We had Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on with us. If you missed any of the show so far, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Phone lines are open. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Once again, number to call, 334-321-1390. Into hour number two here so far, we've talked about what players could we see in Brian Harson's first draft class at Auburn. Talked about that for about 30 minutes, and we only got through a handful of players because I think there's some exciting things to look at with this Auburn draft class into the future. Into the future. We'll continue to talk about this throughout the week, highlight some of the other guys throughout the rest of this week, but we're going to move away from that now and talk about one word to describe or one question for each SEC West team. Just like we did last week, one question for each SEC East team. This week we're now on to one question for each SEC West team, and we're going to start off, though, looking back at 2020. What is one word to describe the SEC West in 2020 last year's football season what is one word to describe the sec west one word to describe the sec west from 2020 weird i mean it was just a weird year in general so i mean i'll I'll go with i'll go with a bit of a weird one just weird i mean you have a team in alabama who was absolutely dominant but then they struggle against ole miss you see auburn struggling and then they beat ole miss and it's just like it felt everything felt weird it just felt off like I mean Alabama ended up show you know flexing its muscle and showing everything but it was just weird I went with down which I guess kind of goes hand in that hand too, with yeah. what you're talking because about it, it didn't feel right like something felt off about the way the SEC West was it's last just year a down year LSU was bad irrelevant I would say LSU was irrelevant that's one true true way to say look the SEC and, West was down LSU if, was irrelevant if L- if LSU is is down and irrelevant the SEC West is not going like you're going to have to have Auburn was six and five. Like if if Auburn or A and M or Ole Miss, like if, if somebody else is at the top, especially like an Auburn A and M who is you know a more of a national brand. And A and M was eight and two, but I felt like the caliber in which we saw A and M last year, like A and M's eight and two team. Wasn't because A&M was really that much better of a team than they were yes. in the previous years. I think it was because the SEC was down. Like if A&M goes eight and two and they lose to Alabama and it's a it's a close you know one possession two possession game that kind of separates late in the game. You you think a little bit differently the SEC West because you're like wow this A&M team is actually really good but they got absolutely thumped by Alabama weren't in that game whatsoever. It felt almost like. got beat by Auburn. Yeah, I mean like you just it didn't feel like this A&M team was. Like it, it, it felt like they were up there in the rankings just kind of because they had a they had a sexy record. They had a good record, but like it kind of came down to well, who'd you really beat? Are you outside of Florida? But then towards the end of the year, you saw Florida was a bit inconsistent. They they push Alabama to the brink in the SC championship, get thumped by Oklahoma, lose to LSU, who was irrelevant at home. You lose on the road to A and M. It just felt like Florida was a bit 
all over the place sometimes. So you really didn't even value that win that much because it happens. You saw Florida would just lose some games that they probably should have won. So just the SEC in general, or the West, just felt felt down because LSU, out of it, Auburn was average, below average at best. If you want to say that there were there was an ability for them to be below 500 at the end of the year, Arkansas was irrelevant nationally. They showed improvement. That was awesome Auburn for them. Auburn did but, improve, but still down. Yeah, like it was just everything, like all the teams were... Mississippi State was horrible. And you kind of wanted, you needed it. Arkansas was horrible. Ole Miss was flashy, but like they didn't transition that into. Still went like four and six. Consistent three and wins. Seven. Like, I mean, if you, like they would put on performances where you're like, wow, this team is good. They're just, they could take to the next level. Then the next week they come out and you're like, this team? This team was the team that we thought was about to take the next level? So just nobody really in the SC West, outside of Alabama, obviously, Really felt relevant to you know for me nationally. I get it. A and M was ranked high, but I never once thought A and M that they were going to make the playoff. I never thought that. And even if they did, no. and even if they did, I was I never thought like for a second that they were not going to get thumped by Alabama again. Notre Dame was making the playoff before. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Even if like even if you had the perfect argument for A and M being better than Notre Dame, Notre Dame was getting that playoff because we want. Look, the they resu- beat Clemson and punched their tickets. The man. result, the result would have been the same. Alabama would have beat both of those two teams handily, but we at least already saw it once with A and M. Notre Dame's a better like Notre Dame put up a fight, man. Notre Dame's a name. Notre Dame is a team that could come in, and you also hadn't seen Alabama play Notre Dame this year. It didn't matter. Like even if Notre Dame's record wasn't that, like their uh, resume wasn't that great, they were getting in over A and M just because. They're looking at it and thinking, oh, we don't. We don't. Right, what was what was you say their resume wasn't that great? What was no? I said if the resume oh, wasn't that okay. great, their, their resume was good. It I'm was saying, better than A and M's because yes. they beat Clemson. Oh no, I agree. I'm saying yeah. if if you looked at the resume and even thought that A and M had a better resume, like say say Notre Dame's doesn't look as good. I don't know what to change about it to make it not look that good and have the same result, but like. Notre yeah, Dame there's no way Notre Dame makes a playoff if they didn't beat Clemson once. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you, you have so to have no that, way to even go. Yeah, into that you have scenario. to have that Clemson win. I'm just saying the Notre Dame's getting there regardless because A and M, unfortunately, they had their playoff game early in the season and they got absolutely shellacked by Alabama in the process. And that's that's kind of how it went for them. And everybody was like, "Well, well, they're not for real. I don't care if you beat Florida now. We saw what happened against Alabama. You're not going to go to the playoff because we saw what happened. If you sneak into the four seed, guess what? It's going to happen again." Now let's get into one question for each SEC West team. And just like we did with the SEC East, let's go in reverse alphabetical order. So let's continue to talk about the Texas A&M Maggies. Not the 2020 version, but the 2021 version. Texas A&M, what is your one question for the Aggies going into this next year? Or at least just, I mean, there's probably a lot of questions, but one question that you got for them. What does this team look like after the steal of the NFL draft? <laughs> Kellen Mond was has left. I mean, like Kellen Mond has been a fixture of that team for years. Yeah, it's, four yeah, years, four, not four, yeah, years, four, four years, four years, four years. He was on that Hunter Renfro scholarship where he got to stay there and play forever. And it's going to be interesting for me to see what it looks like post Kellen Mond. I think that's a good answer. I think that's the main question that a lot of folks have for this team. Of course, I've never, I haven't been super high up on that defense under Jimbo Fisher. I think it's been good, not great. They've always, they always seem to have holes at at least one level of their defense, whether it be defensive line, linebackers, or line, or uh, defensive backs. But 
I'm also, I too am looking at the offensive side of the ball. What does this offense look like with a new quarterback? But also, it's more than just that. The offensive line. New offensive line. They they bring back receivers, but no quarterback and no offensive line. For some reason, people think this A&M team, I'm seeing preseason projections right now that have LSU and A&M both ahead of Auburn at the moment. I get it. I get it. I understand. And some people will say that A&M is going to be a potential playoff dark horse next year. I heard that last year didn't happen. Last year, they had their best chance to do it. If it didn't happen last year, it's never going to happen for Jimbo Fisher and A&M. So I'm seeing this, and I'm thinking to myself, do they not know how difficult it is to like get a passing game off the ground with a brand-new quarterback, hardly any experience, and a new offensive line? Those two, I mean, we saw that with Auburn in 2019. Growing pains. Auburn lost to every good team on their schedule with the exception of Alabama and Oregon. Took a game-winning touchdown pass against Oregon, and it did not look pretty in that ball game. Most people can make the argument that Oregon blew that instead of Auburn actually going out there and winning it. And then in the Alabama game, Auburn did have the benefit of two pick sixes to help them beat Alabama and a doink off the upright. So, I mean, excellent ball game. You still have to give credit for Auburn beating Alabama that year because they went toe to toe with them. But still, but they I'm, needed a lot. A lot needed to happen. Not a lot needed to happen to get them in that yeah, situation. And it's, and it's not like things looked pretty on the offensive side of the ball either. You're not no. making that argument. So, like, my thing is, people out there that think this A&M team can make the playoffs, they better check it because. I do not believe that it's going to be smooth sailing for this offense that's having to replace their offensive line and their quarterback. It's just it never works out that way. Even if the quarterback's got experience, it doesn't work out that way. I mean, that's true. Like, I mean, that's one of the things that worries me is it's the it's the coupling of the fact that you have a new quarterback and you're losing a lot of talent on the offensive line. If it's one one or the other, you feel better about writing that ship. Like, if you have a new guy coming in with a veteran offensive line, he can adjust quicker. If you have a guy like Kellamond who had been there for a while, he can write the ship a little bit when the offensive line's doing a little bit more poor, you know, playing a bit poorly. You can kind of figure that out because your skill position players are good. Running back, looking really good with Spiller back there. You got some good receivers coming back. Weidemeyer's going to be out there at tight end. He's a guy that I like. Skill position isn't the issue for A&M, and I think that's what a lot of people are looking into when they think like some of the playoff hype. They're, they just look at it and say, oh, they've got a lot of skill position talent. This team should be good, but they're kind of overlooking the fact that it is a new quarterback with a, with he, who hasn't had a lot of playing time with a new offensive line. The offensive line could come out and play great, but they did lose a lot of talent on that. So, I mean, you're going to run into a situation where that could hurt you. And you have to think about how important that is because Auburn had a really talented, had a lot of talented skill position guys too. But they had a bad offensive line and a new quarterback and it didn't look pretty a lot of times. I think that could happen with A&M. And I mean, you're playing in the SEC. You've got Alabama and Florida within your first three games. That's tough. That's really tough for you to do. So I don't know how it's going to look out for A&M and how it's going to shape up. But I don't know. I don't know. It, it's... It's gonna be it's it's gonna to be tough for them, and I think it starts at the quarterback position because you uh, you got to see what happens post Kellamon. You look at this ten, uh, this Texas A&M offensive line. Uh, you're you're looking at a lot of underclassmen. You got 
red shirt fresh oh, here we'll go from we'll go from left to right across the offensive line here so you look at left tackle you got a junior there and a former five-star recruit in Kenyon Green that's very possible you go to left guard you got a red shirt freshman possibly starting there at center redshirt junior some some experience with Luke Matthews at the interior at right guard you got a red shirt sophomore and at right tackle you got a red shirt sophomore both of those guys were three stars not a great situation for Texas A&M at the moment on the offensive line and then they're also having to break in a new quarterback so I have I'll major f- question marks about that about that side of the football for them I also goofed I don't know why I was looking at last year's schedule when I say they have to play Alabama and Florida so early I, I don't know what why I was looking at last year's <laughs> schedule for whatever reason but their schedule is actually kind of like favorable for a young team coming along because you get Kent State Colorado New Mexico State then you get Arkansas. Don't sleep on Colorado, though. Oh, no, I'm not sleeping. I'm just saying. That was a good team last year in the Pac-12. It's a little bit more favorable than, like, it. it's a little bit more generous and forgiving than, you know, some, like, some other schedules could be. Like, you could be opening up with an SEC game early on against an Alabama and a Florida like you did last year. Yeah. You could have a, a tougher schedule, but this one is a little bit more manageable. That Colorado game is going to be tough, but... You could go into that Alabama game, you know, with one loss potentially. And that's not bad for a young team. It builds confidence, it gets them going forward. But it's going to be quarterback. It's what they're doing to quarterback. That's my big question for them. How does, how does that look? How does that shake out for them? Well, let's talk about Ole Miss then next. Let's try and squeeze these guys in here before we head to break. Ole Miss, I'll go first on this one. I'm going to go with has the defense improved enough? to help them overtake the better teams on their schedule and what is going on with this offensive line right now. You just fired your offensive line coach right after spring. And this was a pretty improved unit throughout last season on the offensive side of the ball, that offensive line. But now their offensive line coach is going on. Why? None of us really know at the moment what's going on with that position group. And Ole Miss, is that going to be an issue for them next year? But more importantly, the main question that I have is, has this defense improved enough to help them overtake the better teams on their schedule? Yeah, these guys can beat Mississippi State. Yeah, these guys are capable of beating Arkansas. Sure. Are they capable of beating LSU? Are they capable of beating Auburn? Are they capable of beating Texas A&M? And I think that will be decided whether or not this defense can stop somebody. They couldn't stop Auburn last year, man. And, all, and, and Auburn saying, was stoppable on that side of the football. Auburn stopped itself a lot of times, and you yes. couldn't stop them. Like that's that's bad. Still gave up thirty four to them. So my my thing is, and and I don't think the defense has improved to to that point. I'm not ready to say it's takeoff time for Ole Miss. There are two teams, one in each division right now, where everybody is just they're sold. Like this team, this is their year. Right, it's it's like the Bo Nix meme right now on social media. That I know is a joke, but still, I mean they've been doing that to Tennessee since you know since I've been alive. It's every year. There's some people year. that are up on uh there there are some people that are up on Tennessee this year. I've actually seen they're, 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 they're like, up every year. They like some of the quarterbacks coming into the program, like Hendon Hooker. They're gonna have some. They're gonna have some. Good, they're gonna have a decent quarterback. Surprise, room. Surprisingly, they did get. They did manage. They did to bring sca- in some talent. They managed to salvage some talent despite the dumpster fire that was happening. So and we'll everybody that. that was transferring out, man, if they if they were able to hold on to their running backs, they, they I would probably value yeah. them a little bit more. But looking at Ole Miss, like the, I said, there are two teams in this league where everybody's just like they're, they're they they've got they're they're drinking the Kool Aid at the moment, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and one of those we've talked about heavily, Georgia. The other team is Ole Miss because Ole Miss is the hot team that everybody wants to just say 
this is launch pad year. Lane train rolling in. Choo-choo. Like everybody's just, they love that idea. And I think they're more so trying to speak that into existence rather than actually like whether or not they're ready to ready for it to occur. Do you have their schedule in front of you? I do. I do. They have a they have a semi it's favorable. It's a favorable schedule. It's just it, I agree with you. Your your question is or your one is it question, ready to take off? It's mine is you know the defense and they go they coincide with each other. Are they ready to take off? Because that is like that's dependent upon the defense. The offense isn't the issue. You can score. You know, 40, 48 points on Alabama and still lose 63 to 48. Like, you can still lose by multiple scores when you score, when you score 48 points in a ball game. That means that defense is abysmal. And if they can just, I don't know, get two or three more stops in a game, you're looking at a much different team. You get a bye week before you play your first SEC game, which is Alabama. That's good. The Louisville game is going to be a game that slept on. I think Louisville is a much improved team. I they still, got a quarterback, man. I still think Ole Miss is better. Jawan, I mean, uh, they, they got a quarterback. It's not oh, Jawan yeah. Puma Pass. I'm trying to remember who it is. Like, Malik Cunningham. They got a quarterback, man. That guy can play. Head coach is, you know, head coach played well last year. You know, I, I think they did very well considering nobody really had expectations for Louisville next year. That, last year they didn't do great. You know, I have a great season, but I liked what they did. All things considering. That's a game that's a little tough, but you get that out early in the way. I think Ole Miss is talented enough to win that game. But then you get Austin P. Tulane. You get a bye before Alabama, and that's huge. If you can hang with them in Tuscaloosa, that's a hard place to win a game. If you can hang with them out there, maybe. I just don't think the offense is there. Because by then, Alabama's offense is going to be kicked. They're going to be clicking. They're going to be firing on all cylinders. You know, you're you're adding some new pieces. You're incorporating a new quarterback into Alabama system. I think by then they're going to be firing because that's what four games in Alabama season. They'll be fine by then. And I don't know if Ole Miss's defense can step it up. So like, that's the big question. Can the defense keep them from losing football games? Because the offense wasn't losing them football games. Offense was putting them in a position to win. The defense was just doing the exact opposite. And you want to see that out of them. And Louisville, Right out the gates, you're you're going to find out about this defense against Louisville because Malik Cunningham can play. He had 20 passing touchdowns last year, which doesn't jump off the page. He had 2,600 yards passing, 20 short, touchdowns, 12 picks. Short season, remember sure. that? Sure, that's right. It was a shorter year. I I still think that those numbers, the the touchdown to interception ratio bothers me. There, the 20 to 12 isn't great, but he's a dual threat quarterback. Can run the ball a little bit. Had over 600 rushing yards, averaging about 4.6 yards per carry. The guy's an athlete. He can play, and we saw that early on in the year. I can't remember what team he opened with. Louisville was one of the kickoff games this year that we watched. Opened up the season. Was it Louisville and Miami early on in the year that we saw him and Derek King duel against each other? Yeah, that was a fun that game was, to that watch. Was early on, I mean, yeah, they were ranked. Yeah, I remember they, that. Both of these teams were ranked. They kept it. I mean. And you look at some of their losses, like most of their losses, they were like Louisville was in a lot of these games. They, it was what, yeah. 12, 12 to seven. I knew it was a, a very close game against Notre Dame, who was a playoff team that they were they lost by one score. And that was kind of the trend for Louisville. They were pretty competitive with better teams throughout the year because I didn't think this Louisville team was a better team than most of their schedule, but they still competed. And that's a good sign of improving the next year in Ole Miss. They're going to have their work cut out for them week Defensively, one. Defensively, at least. Yes. I think they'll be able to score. Nothing really jumps off the page yeah. about the Louisville defense, but especially considering we saw some, I mean, impressive that they only gave up 12 to Notre Dame, but that I, seems more like a Notre Dame problem than I, Louisville's it, successes. It, but Notre Dame's offense that, that day was putrid. I remember watching that game. It was, it was awful. 
More of On the Line on the other side of this break. We keep talking about our one question for each SEC West team on the other side of this break. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7. Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the line. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. We're going through our one question for each SEC West team in 2021. We've gone through Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Let's go to the other Mississippi school, Mississippi State. Levi, what do you got for the Bulldogs? What happens in Mike Leach's second year? Like that's the big question. Like what does it look like? Are, I think like, that determines his longevity in Starkville as well because I think they're kind of getting tired of the. It was fun in Washington State, but now it's like like all the SEC teams were like, ha ha ha, that's funny. We love this guy. Like this guy's hilarious, right? And now now he's the head coach. You woke up one day and he's the head coach of your football team. Right? No, I mean like, I, and it's funny. It's fun when you're winning, but that's that's the thing. Like I love. I like Mike, I love Mike Leach. I think he's a he's a funny guy. I like ha- like if if he was a coach of my team, I'd be happy as long as you were you're, winning. You're winning because the jokes are ha ha funny until you're, you're looking up and you're getting getting smacked around by some some bad SEC yeah, it's, teams. It's funny to talk about what mascots would win in a fight until you're actually getting mauled like bears in the rest of the SEC. And the, when he was at Washington State, he was winning those games and. He has to he has to instill this. I mean, Mississippi State was not in a good place when he got there. They they were not, and that's something that you're gonna have to get through. For again, relatively favorable schedule to start. They could they could easily start off four zero this year. I mean, you're looking at a game against Louisiana Tech. Don't sleep on them. NC State. Don't sleep on them. But I think Mississippi State. Those two games are in Starkville. NC State coming down to Starkville just seems like a game that they should win. LSU, we don't know what we're getting out of LSU this year. We're not very high on them. That game's also in Starkville, Mississippi. That's when you got to sneak out. Like they've got a, they've got like a a pretty baseline average schedule to start with, with some good competition to where you could kind of get yourself going. Problem is, if you look at Mike Leach teams, they're typically inconsistent. So one, like you're probably going to have one of those games. Whichever one of those teams ends up being the better team out of NC State, Memphis, or LSU, they're probably going to beat them. And then whichever team's the worst out of those three teams, they're probably going to get shellacked by them because that just seems like what Mike Leach has done traditionally at every stop along the way. Washington State, Texas Tech. Because the air raid produces inconsistency. Exactly. and I mean, You can be off the field in 45 seconds or, or less. Especially towards the end of the year when you throw the ball 50 times a game. Yeah. That arm starts hurting, man. That arm is that arm is dead by the end of the year. I mean, you look at, I always like the, the Hawaii reference. You look at Hawaii the past two years with Cole McDonald at quarterback, and he would come out. Hawaii would be just absolutely on a tear. They'd be up... 17 to 21 points. Cole McDonald is throwing for 150 to 200 yards, three touchdowns in the first half. You love what he's doing. Arm falls out at the end of the game because he was throwing so much. And then every, people would come back in those games. He looks awful. They take him out, put the other kid in, Shadero, you know, Cordero in there, and now you're looking at a guy who can throw it again. Arm starts hurting. You throw the ball 50 times a game over a whole season. You start falling off towards the end of the year. I just want to see what it happens in year two. Is it consistent? Does Mike Leach... 
salvage it, keep himself around, or does it fall off and he's out of here next year? Mississippi State has no problems letting go of guys early on in their tenure. Just look at his oh, yeah. predecessor. Yeah, Moorhead was gone quickly, and it's because he really wasn't like a great culture fit for the Mississippi State program, which what which is what made this hire so interesting. Of course, Mississippi State is the program in the league that is just crazy enough to go and hire Mike Leach. Like you're like. Culture-wise, it doesn't, though, right? Because, like, you, it makes sense. You're like, yeah, Mississippi State's crazy enough to go and make this hire, but, like, Mike Leach still doesn't totally, to me, seem like a culture fit with an SEC program. And uh, the way that football I- I- is handled here, the way that people, you know, uh, just love the game, they don't, they don't wait around, right? And, and Mike Leach is capable of winning at the level that Mississippi State wants them to win at. I know a lot of people went to Mississippi State. They just don't care. I mean, like, they, they, like Mississippi State's the one program in the league other than Vanderbilt, I would say, that really just doesn't get into football season that much. Because uh, I mean, Kentucky probably to a degree before they got good. But well, like Mississippi State has typically not been that. I mean, they, they've been a bottom dweller of the SEC outside of the few years of Dak Prescott with you know the Mullen years. Like those, that, that was the, those are the best years you saw of Mississippi State football. Like those were the best. Pretty like agreeable that. fan base too. Like they're just not like all up tight and up in arms when things like, aren't going well. It's like when, when things are going great, they're out there, they're, they're wild, happy. they're having fun. Yeah. Things aren't going so well, they're like, man, okay, we'll get them next time. Well, maybe maybe somebody else will come yeah, in. Yeah, see, see you guys next week. See you, Bill. See you. Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, <laughs> we'll like, see you next week. Maybe we'll sneak around and get one. And that's just, I mean, that's just yeah. the program. Like that's what it is. Mississippi State is, has not traditionally been that good of a program to to have that kind of that mentality, that that just anger that people want to go after and get mad at. So and that's where it kind of like it seems like it was interesting enough to where you're like, yeah, Mississippi State's one of the few teams in this league that would actually pull this, but it, it, it's it seems more like an experiment rather than a commitment on Mississippi State's end. I'm and I'm fine with that. Maybe they looked at the coaches around and said, I mean, we're not really getting many other guys. Let's bring somebody in who is. People, like If Mike Leach is your coach, naturally people are going to talk about you, even when you're bad, just because he's a charismatic guy true. and he's a funny guy that college football final will roll around at 11, 12 o'clock at night, sports center rolls around. There's always going to be a press conference clip. It's always going to come up. You're always going to see Mike Leach pop up on your screen, and that's good exposure. There's no like there's no such thing as bad publicity. If he's on your screen, it, it, not at all. I mean, everything that happens, anytime oh, no. in this day and age, there there's a such thing as bad publicity. It happens. It gets you out there. You're good. Until you get canceled, though. I I, I don't hard. agree with it's that a, statement any, anymore in today's day. Like I I had college classes where that was told. I mean, we were both you and I were uh, in the communication and journalism at Auburn, and I took classes where they said there's no such thing as bad publicity. There's no such thing as bad publicity in this day and age. You have. You have an artist who says a racial slur and his sales double within like the next two months. So like I don't. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't think there is such thing as bad publicity. Like um, you have to like absolutely like mess up, mess up something like on a very like high legal level and ethical level to like. And I mean, it like an overarching like when you're thinking of ethics, like things that people all people agree upon are awful, like stuff like that to really make it bad publicity. Zion shoe blowing out in the Duke game, great publicity for Nike. Everybody's talking about Nike, that's great for Nike. 
Anything like that. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. They find a shrimp tail no, in there. No. Great publicity. I'll tell you, I, I'm not buying that anymore. I'm not buying anything. What was that? General Mills? Yeah, I, I bought not, nothing nope. but Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's all I've wanted to eat since then. Good Defin- publicity. It's in my head. Definitely not. Not going back. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Halfway through hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Coming up at 4 o'clock, you got the drive with Bill Cameron following us here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. We're going through our one question for each SEC Western Division football team for the 2021 season. We've gone through Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Now we're on to the Bayou Bengals in the great state of Louisiana with the LSU Tigers. That we was, ain't backing down. That the those are not our best impersonations of Ed Orgeron. I mean, I, I'm I don't do a great Ed Orgeron. I don't do. A You've great heard me Coach do a o. couple of good ones, and that was oh. really low. That was really low tier for me. Yeah, I don't do a great Coach O. I mean, that's just not something I do. It's not in my wheelhouse. Well, let's talk about LSU then. On that on that sad note, here we go. LSU, what's your question for him? It's easy. It's a quarterback. Who's going to play it? Which one of these guys? And are they going to be any good? Like, I mean, because I, I don't think I think. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep saying it. I'm gonna keep saying it over and over again. It, it goes down to even if you if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. So if you have four quarterbacks, you definitely don't have a quarterback because that means that none of them are good. Ed Orgeron has said this quarterback room is the best room that he's had since he's been at LSU. You got to say that. Is you have this to. is this quarterback room? Uh, my question is: Is this quarterback room actually the best room that Ed Orgeron has ever had? Okay, that's fair though. Like that could be a thing if you look at it of like an overall. Like you've got a okay overall average. You got four guys who are decent, and you got and in the past you just had Joe Burrow. Still though, I, I'm still taking Joe Burrow in a quarterback yeah. room over everybody else. I mean, I'd rather have one great quarterback than four okay ones. Yeah, a be- better analogy here. Would you rather take the Terminator or a group of you know four average individuals? I mean, yeah. I think a, you take the Terminator in, the, in that fight, right? Do you want Joe Burrow, or do you want four half-size Joe Burrows? Think about that. <laughs> well, what would you choose? I would take the, I would, the regular Joe Burrow. <laughs> I would take four. I, I don't know. I might take four because I could stack two of them up with a trench coat and go buy like some eggs or something at a diner or like, go sneak into an R-rated movie or something. Like That would be cool to do. What? Yeah, like I could stack two Joe Burrows up on top of each other with a trench coat, and we could go see like a cool movie or something that you know, well, that'd be cool. Like sneak into movies and stuff. Like have like a trench coat and a hat on. That's lame. That'd be I'm really just, cool. I know, I know what you're. I, I get what you're saying still, but yeah, my question is who needs the, football. My question for this LSU team is: Is this quarterback room actually the best room? Because that that, that Ed Orgeron is at. Because that's what Ed Orgeron is saying, and I I'm not buying it. Same reasons that you said. You got four quarterbacks. You probably have zero quarterbacks. Big thing for me is he said that you know that one week uh, this guy would be doing well. Like one week it would be Max Johnson. The next week it would be Miles Brennan. The next week it would be T.J. Finley. And the next week it may be um, Nussmeier's kid. I think it's Garrett Nussmeier. Maybe it may be him. I think Garrett's the name. That, that yeah. sounds right. 
But yeah, like I mean, it, that that's not that does not bode well for me though, because I'm like, all right, well, why does that does that just mean they're inconsistent? Like, how did T.J. Finley have the best week out of this group? That guy was not very good last year. Yeah, it's just weird. Like, it makes you feel that it makes you feel as if he's not confident in anyone because typically, at least once you start showing some sort of confidence in a quarterback. That guy starts to separate. He's all you think about. He starts to separate himself. He's the guy you end up talking to. I mean, you see it at the NFL level with a guy like Sean Payton. He, you could tell that he had an infatuation with Taysom Hill. Even when Taysom Hill wasn't doing very well, he was still talking about him, talking him up. He was like that. You could tell that he was at the forefront of his mind. You don't see that with Coach O, which means that nobody is really separating themselves in practice. He doesn't He's not have committed. Yeah, like there's nobody who's doing it. And I'm like, I understand that because when I look at these quarterbacks and I evaluate the quarterback room, I just see four guys who are average to below average quarterbacks. I don't see a guy who looks to be above average to me that has shown it to me yet. That could change, but the way they talk about it, I don't think it is anytime soon. No quarterback has swept Coach O off of his feet yet. It's, That's what we're waiting yeah. on. And he's no, dating around. It's the same. It's the same problem that has plagued LSU since I've been a you know for most of my life. No, if you have a quarterback, LSU's usually a pretty good team. When they don't have a quarterback, then they're not. They're they, average or they're or average bad or below. Like they were last it's year. just like that. They've always just been a quarterback away my whole life. You know, except the years they get a quarterback. Let's move on to Auburn now. Auburn's next in our reverse alphabetical order here of one question for each SEC West team. What's your question for Auburn? For Auburn, it's going to be how, I mean, it's, it's almost the same one. Like It it's, seems like we're talking about quarterback a lot with all of these teams. A&M, LSU, okay, it's Auburn. Not, this isn't fair because I've got plenty of questions for Auburn. How about this? How does the offensive line do? Does the offensive line improve? Does it give Bo Nix time to throw the football? Does Bo Nix improve? I've got We've got questions for days for Auburn. I mean, does Bo Nix take a step staff. Yeah, does he take a step forward under this regime? Do, does Bo Nix just become kind of a bridge quarterback for a guy that Brian Harson brings in and Holden Garner? Like what happens here? Is he thinking that Bo Nix is going to be the guy for the next 2 years? Does he improve? Does Bobo get the most out of him? How does the defense look under Derek Mason? Like there's a lot. So, we can probably just compile all this into one. What does the new regime look like? For Auburn, what do they put out in year one, and will it give fans hope? Does it translate onto on-the-field success in year one? Because Coach Arson's been a winner everywhere he goes. Does that continue at Auburn? There's several questions that I have. And we're, we're, on and we're so point. Cl- I would say we're so close to this. We're yeah. like we're so close to this one that. It's hard for us to narrow it down to one because we kind of overanalyze Auburn a little bit. Auburn's the most interesting team, though, in the SEC West this upcoming football season because they have the potential to shock some teams this year, but also think they have the potential to be really to be kind of more of the same, maybe just as disappointing. If they shock some teams, though, man, watch out. Continuing on with your point, that LSU game, man, it may very well be the most important game on Auburn's football schedule next year because I, I, I just don't have – I have a hard time seeing Auburn finding a way to upset Georgia or Alabama next football season. But if you beat LSU, you you get that you get that feeling that you can't win in Baton Rouge off your back. You, it, it, I think you feel confident enough that you can go and win against Texas A and M. I think you feel confident to be able to go and, and beat some of the other average teams on your schedule that some people out there have Auburn losing for some reason. But you beat LSU, I just it, it it's a big win for them. I mean that that's something that previous coaches. Gene Chizik wasn't able to do it. Gus Malzahn wasn't able to do it. Tommy Tuberville, 
Did he do it? Let's think. Because the last time it happened was 99, so I guess Tuberville did do it. So yeah, go, go and find that for me. Because the last two coaches at Auburn have not done it. And if he's able to do it, that, that is going to get him major credit and brownie points with his fan base. That is the most important game on Auburn's schedule next year. And if he's able to win it, that, could, that can really set this thing in a, in a good motion. If you lose it, though, you're 0-2 to start out SEC play, which is a huge damper on this football program. Everybody's going to be angry after that. I, you and I are going to be patient because you understand the possibility that's in front and you don't understand the difficulty of it, but there are not patient Auburn fans out there right now. So if you win, that's a big point in your corner for you to be able to, uh, for you to, be able to make a statement. Have you found it? I'm still looking. Uh, yeah, it was Tuberville. There we go. But it was like Tuberville's like first year, right? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it was his first season. Yeah. Man. So can you even really count that? Because Tuberville only did it one time, and he did it in his first year. That's true. So, just it, saying. Yeah, I say it's not like that. That is important. It, like, can they get over that LSU hump? That's that's a big one. I mean, that could that almost is like a, that's a microcosm of that's the most important game on this schedule for it, me. It's what like you when you think about the coaching staff in general. That could be the difference in this coaching staff. It, like, it could be like how they're perceived. They could win this game, get some confidence, and then knock Georgia off next week, or even be more competitive with Georgia. And then you're viewing this coach, coaching staff in a different light. Think about how, how amped up you're going to be for that Georgia game if you beat LSU. And the, the fan Think base about is, how pumped the fan base is going to be. I mean, the fan base itself is going to be ec- ecstatic because they finally got over that hump. And you're tired of that. The environment is going to be out of this world. The only thing that the only thing that it's a little bit different is like I keep thinking about to Gus Malzahn's first year when he lost to LSU and it didn't matter at the end of the year. And the difference is you didn't have to play Georgia right after Right, them. yeah. I and think that's you throw why that out the window. And that's why like, I, my brain always tries to go back to it and I always say... It doesn't matter. I say, don't, I say, don't forget, you didn't play Georgia right after it. And this is completely different because if you beat LSU, you feel better about going into Georgia. You're still not favored by any means. This is a really good Georgia team they're going up against. But you at least have confidence going into that game to where is you, if you lose that LSU team, which I think this Auburn roster and this Auburn team is better than that LSU team... If you go into that game, I get it. It's on the road. You haven't won there since 1999. But if you drop that game, then you're not... What confidence do you have to win the next week? You don't. It'd be different. But if you win... You have confidence. Man, you are pumped. You feel good about it. And, I mean... You're going into that Georgia game looking to conquer the world. You're like, well, look, guys, we just beat this team that we've struggled with. Let's go and take down these guys, too. It's like it's like a you versus the world moment. You're ready. Like, you could you could go and fight the Terminator in that moment, right? Going back to what we were talking about earlier. And it would feel... Like, and it's, it's going to be good to build that confidence early on in the season. It would be a... It'd be a whole different discussion if Auburn was playing Akron after they played LSU or if they were playing Alabama State after LSU. The problem is you're playing Georgia right after that. So you got to win that game early on. And I think that could really set the tone for what this coaching staff brings. Again, Brian Harson, he's been a winner everywhere he's went. He has the third highest winning percentage of all active coaches right now. You want to see him get off to it. You, to keep that percentage up, you got to win football games and you got to win a lot of them. Let's move on to Arkansas here and we'll save Alabama for last in our next segment. So let's let's get through Arkansas here quickly. My question for Arkansas is, do they actually have the talent to beat SEC teams and get to a bowl game? This squad has an absolutely brutal schedule. They got to play Georgia. They got to play Texas. They've got to play Alabama, of course. 
this is this is not an easy year for Arkansas by any means. It's the what the second or I'm sorry, it's the hardest schedule from ESPN FPI standpoint. I I think it's the hardest schedule. Period. Yeah, I think their strength of schedule is the number one. And did you know who number two was in that list by any chance? It was Auburn. Yeah, I, I figured these, it was Auburn. These two teams have the hardest schedules, which makes a little sense. You think Auburn's a little bit better team than Arkansas, so obviously Arkansas's schedule is probably going to be a bit harder. Yeah, uh, the one thing I'm looking forward to for them. I don't know how they're going to be able to get over uh, get over the scheduling because their schedule is brutal. Like I don't I mean, know how uh, they get past that. Here's the schedule. You got Rice at home. All right, you win that. You got Texas at home. You probably lose that game. So you're one and one. You got Georgia Southern at home. There's a win. You're two and one. But then again, Georgia Southern's not even a slouch these days coming out of the Sun Belt. They've been to a couple of bowl games here and there. So you're so looking you think, at. Do you think they lose? You think they lose that game to Texas? I think they could beat Texas. I think they. I look. I'm not high up on that. You're high on this Arkansas team. I think they got talent. I, I, I know, I, but I know Texas has talent. But what do they have? They, they, have you you've seen the recruiting classes? I know. But that's what I'm saying. Like now they got they, the coach to use them right. It's there, but we also like. Uh, you thought they had the coach to use them right with Tom Herman and Charlie Strong as well. It just feels like Texas keeps getting in, getting in its own way, and I don't know if they can actually. I don't know if they put it together that early, just because the way Texas has been going. And I think Steve Sarkeesian, he has just been an offensive just. But uh, Arkansas like, is an abysmal program. It is, but I, I like their quarterback. I like Traylon Burks. I think those guys can get it done. I think they can compete. And I think, and I, that's my question for them. Point is, I still got Texas winning. Maybe they compete, but I still got Texas winning. I say like, you just said it so confidently. I feel like Arkansas they pushes. Win. I feel like Arkansas pushes them. They'll lose to Texas A and M. So now you're two and two. Maybe they beat Texas A and M. You never know. Just if this Arkansas team is as good as you think, and maybe A and M is as bad, is worse than maybe we think. Maybe that's possible. But I still got A and M beating them. Goodness. Then you got to go on the road to Georgia. No, you no, lose no. the Georgia game. Just, just look at their road games in general. Yeah, yeah. they got to play LSU on the road. They got to play Alabama on the road. You got to play Ole Miss on the My road. Goodness. Doesn't really help you to have to play Auburn at home. By the way, that's homecoming. So that's going to add. A, that's okay. bulletin board Al- material for Auburn. When was the last time Auburn lost in Fayetteville or Little Rock, whichever one they end up playing in for that week? I mean, they- also Missouri's a lot better this year, which is at the end of the season. So I mean, like. This Arkansas team, it will be better than the record suggests, but uh, you could be looking at a 3-9, and 4-8 season for Arkansas this oh, year. 100%, just based off the schedule, and it has nothing to do with the talent. I, Me, I'm looking at it. I'm looking to see what K.J. Jefferson does. I want to see if he, if he, you know, what he does. I'm an NFL guy. I also want to see what Traylon Burks is doing because I'm high on him. I think he could be a really good NFL receiver. That's my question for him. Does the talent help them win maybe some games they shouldn't win? Like can they can they do like an upset? Because like those I think, two players alone are not enough. Oh, I don't think that is, I don't think it is. But I'm just saying that I would like to see if some of this talent that they have brought in that they do have they were showing improvement last year. Can they sneak in some of those games? Can they? You see, you hear it in the the NBA and with like series and stuff like that. Like towards it, can you steal a game? I want to see if Arkansas can steal a game this year. Can you beat a Texas or a Texas A and M? Can can you go into Oxford and maybe? Beat a Mississippi or beat an Ole Miss team that has struggled defensively. Like I, you want to see if maybe they can steal some of those games that people aren't really giving them credit for. And that, that that's my question for them: Can they steal a game this year and put their program back on a an upward trajectory? We wrap up the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. We'll be talking about Alabama when we come back. Our one question for the Alabama Crimson Tide.
Wrapping up another edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the show on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Following us at 4 o'clock, coming up in about nine minutes, you'll have The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck taking your calls as they do every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. CBS has a pair of new episodes of Kids Say the Darndest Things at 7 and Seal Team at 8. Over on ABC at 7, catch a new episode of The Goldbergs. And then at 7.30, it'll be Home Economics. Back-to-back episodes of The Connors air starting at 8. New editions of Chicago Med and Chicago Fire come on NBC at 7 and 8. The Masked Singer sees the competition heat up as the final six sing tonight at 7 on Fox. A movie selection for tonight, Moneyball is on AMC at at 7. In live sports, the Los Angeles Dodgers clash with the Chicago Cubs at 6.30 p.m. on ESPN. In the NBA, you've got one game on NBA TV. The San Antonio Spurs will travel to Salt Lake City to play the Utah Jazz at 8. The Spurs are in the mix for a spot in the play-in tournament, whereas the Jazz are sitting at the top of the Western Conference. At 7, catch NHL hockey on NBC Sports with the Washington Capitals at the New York Rangers. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. we got four minutes left in the show here, Levi, to get through our one question for each SEC West team. We've ran through the entire SEC West with the exception of one team here that we're about to talk about. We've got a reverse alphabetical order. That means we're back to the top of the list. Talking about our one question for each SEC West team, the Alabama Crimson Tide. My question is, does this defense get back to form? This was not a great Alabama defense last year. Or the year before that. Yeah, like I, I want to see if it gets back to what Alabama is used to putting out, especially in the Nick Saban era. I actually think it was better last side. year than it was two years ago. That's fair. That's fair. I think I think last year I, I it sticks out more just because of games like that Ole Miss game kind of stick mad out. every Alabama like fan that, was. Yeah, like that. Just livid. Because I think the year before... They kind of saw like the way the season was going. Tua wasn't healthy, and you're thinking like maybe this team really isn't a national championship contender because injuries and the defense isn't very good. So they kind of weren't as you know bad. They weren't as mad about it. But then last year, you knew that offense you had was historically great, one of the best offenses in college football history. But you were still kind of like, what if this defense blows it for this team? Because this offense is historically great. What if this defense blows it? Like you, you felt a lot more pushback last year because they knew how good that offensive that offense was. So, like, I want to see what they what they do this year. They look pretty good in the spring game. Again, it's spring; you can't really judge it that harshly. But it did it did look like a better product, I think, defensively. I want to see what they do. I want to see what this Alabama defense does this year and see if it can kind of get back to what we expect out of a Nick Saban defense. I'm going to go with the all are, are the roster holes on offense enough to keep this team from winning a national championship i also had is this defense legit because alabama folks think that this defense is back to form so i'm wondering that as well but i'll go the offensive side of the ball and say are these roster holes you got a new quarterback coming in you lost your entire first round receiving core you've got uh some new offensive linemen as well filling in because you lose deontay brown landon dickerson you've lost a handful of guys on the offensive line as well are these roster holes enough on offense to keep this team from winning a national championship? I'm not saying keep them from winning the SEC title. I'm saying is it enough to keep them from winning a title? I don't think so. I mean, I see Alabama reload every year. They'll be fine. I, that, I'm not worried about them reloading player-wise. I am interested to see how it looks offensively from a schematic standpoint 
because you go back and watch, like I didn't even realize this until I was doing a lot of draft coverage where I'm looking at just some of the schemes that Sarkeesian was putting on there to get some of these guys open. He had top-tier talent that could separate at the receiving position, and he was still scheming them wide open to where they didn't really even have to try that hard to get open because they were schemed open by a guy like Scar- by a guy like Sark. So I'm, I am interested to see schematically how different the offense looks and does it take a hit from the explosive side because of play calling and scheme? Because I think the talent's going to be there. It's just, I don't know what... I'm, I'm interested to see what it looks like moving forward with a new offensive coordinator because I think the offense is talented enough. I'm not worried about them plugging in guys because they do it every year. It's not just any offensive coordinator, though. It's Bill O'Brien. That's true. It, it's a guy you say who, with the new offensive coordinator, just like, he didn't exist. I was like, it's Bill O'Brien, man. That's true. I mean, I... I <laughs> Bill O'Brien, is, he, he doesn't deserve for me to talk about him right now because of what he did to the Texans. He hurt him too bad, man. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We've got the drive with Bill Cameron following us coming up at 4 o'clock. Stay tuned for that. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.